Well, it's good to see everybody here, everybody that is gathered in person, everybody that is online. Uh, we had big news in the sense that uh, our online presence has widened, that we're on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, so that, and that's not just here, it's uh, Wednesday night. So as you know, we're going through this series, The Life, and it's about living the life of a disciple. And so we hope that you're in a life group that's, the plan is each life group and our Wednesday night conversation is going to be a follow-up because these are uh, topics I can't near get them all uh, discussed in a fashion that's worthy of them during this time. So we want to follow up in our life groups. And I was real encouraged. I heard some uh, great comments about the discussion that some of our life groups had. Uh, we had a great discussion on Wednesday night, <clears throat> and uh, this week David's going to go dive deeper into Scripture, and then we have an all-star lineup of pastors. We have uh, Jim Kern and Chris Hayes and Aaron uh, Girdler. Am I leaving anybody out? Uh, Phil Gore, but he's in uh, Minneapolis uh, with those babies, and so he, we're going to miss his insight. But each week, we're going to follow up with another pastor besides my message on Sunday, so we have a, a richer and deeper understanding of the topics we're talking about, because it's important. Uh, we live in very interesting times, and so we need to know what is going to anchor us as disciples of Christ, what's going to give us a firm foundation uh, for, so we don't get distracted uh, when we're following Christ and doing great things as we saw with uh, Peter on the, when he walked on the water if we let the turmoil around us uh, distract us we begin to sink and so we're trying to get some firm foundation anchor points if you will uh, through this sermon so today last week we talked about prayer and the importance of prayer, and we dove deeper in that in the following week. And this week we're going to talk about Scripture. Uh, what, what it's very important, uh, Scripture. It's how we get to know God and know the things of God. And understand a few points about Scripture. Scripture, the Bible, is not a history book. It has a lot of history in it, but that's not the main point. The main point, what we see in Scripture, even in the Old Testament, we go back and we see the essence of human nature. We see the essence of God's nature and the relationship between the two. Uh, that's the overall scope of the Bible. And so when we are trying to seek and understand our relationship with God, we go to Scripture to find out our weaknesses, our strengths. Uh, we go to Scripture to find out about God's faithfulness and God's righteousness. Um, and so Scripture, uh, another point, Scripture is one of my favorite. That's, where, that's my go-to. If I'm stressed, if I don't know where to go, if, if things are chaotic, if I'm anxious, whatever it is, I go to Scripture. In the prayer vigil, uh, when sometimes it's intimidating, what am I going to pray for all these many hours? Um, I just go to Scripture and I begin to read, and it primes the pump, and, and God will speak to me and give me something to pray. So Scripture's outstanding. And it's okay, as we go through all of these, um, it's okay to have a favorite. It's okay to have one, boy, I'm, I'm really into prayer, or I'm really into service, or I love sharing my heart with the body of Christ. It's okay to have one that, 
that's your strength. But understand, as disciples, all of us have to do all of these. It's just like we need a balanced diet for our body. We can't just eat one kind of food. In the same way, we need a balanced diet for our spirit. Prayer gives us something that Scripture doesn't. Worship gives us something that prayer and Scripture. And, and they all work together to help us be anchored in Christ, to be anchored in our faith, um, help us to live the life. Okay, let's get to the point this morning. Our Scripture comes out of 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. You have, <coughs> excuse me, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced. Because you know those from, who, from those you have learned it. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of God for the people of God. So as we go through this, as we talk about this series of living the life, Right? And remember, I'll reiterate some things because I think it's important to understanding the series. It's not, oftentimes we as the church will present uh, discipleship as like this curriculum or this class. You go and you learn how to be a disciple. And that's not what it is. It is being a disciple is living your life following Christ. Not just once a week in church on Sunday or maybe a life group. We put our Christian hat on or our disciple hat on. It is a way of life. We are supposed to live our entire life as followers of Christ. And these are grounded on faith, a firm faith in the Holy Spirit. Remember what we've talked about. And as we go through this, always remember uh, the difference between the, the disciples in Acts and the disciples in the Gospels. The disciples in the Gospels were kind of not all with it. They didn't really understand. They tried their best. They still had some worldly understandings. They thought Jesus was going to overthrow it. They just, they had some trouble. They were, they, they were living it, but they just had some trouble understanding it, seeing it clearly, being faithful enough. But the disciples in Acts were bold and all but one as uh, history goes, died a, a martyr's death. And what was the difference? And they grew the church. The difference was the resurrection, which cemented their faith 
that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was who he said he was, that he was the Christ. So it was the resurrection that cemented their faith. And then in the beginning of Acts, uh, end of John, they received the Holy Spirit. First the disciples at the end of John, and then the church, universal, in the beginning of Acts. Those two things made the difference in the early disciples, and I will contend they will make the difference in our life of what kind of disciples we will be. Are we going to be casual observers, or are we going to live the life, the abundant life that Jesus brought? All right, I'm spending way too much time on my introduction. Okay. So as we go through here, we're talking about the means of grace. And so I want to be clear about what the means of grace are. As, Wes, as Wesleyans, Methodists, we understand means of grace. And Wesley, what he says of them, he says, By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, actions ordained of God and appointed to this end, to be ordinary channels whereby we might convey to men provenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace. So another way of putting it is, these are places that God promises to meet us. You know, if, we, if we're going out with our family, say, hey, let's meet, and we split up shopping or wherever, amusement park, we say, hey, let's meet here. That's what God says in these things. Now, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can use anything as a means of grace. You know, we, we, we've experienced God's grace in, in many different things, in nature and in many different things. But these are places God says, I will meet you there. We might say ordained, prearranged. He promises in the power of the Holy Spirit, if we go to Scripture, if we go to prayer, if we serve him, if we worship him, it is those places, if we are in the Spirit, in firm faith, God will meet us there. All right, that's, that's the means of grace. And the first one we talked about is prayer. Now we're talking about scripture. I read 2 Timothy, um, but the main verses I want to focus on today is uh, 15 through 16. So number one, it tells us in verse 15 that the holy scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. So what it tells us is that the story of salvation is in the scriptures. How it tells us the story of sinful humanity that gets separated from God. Then it begins to tell us the story about how God is constantly pursuing us, both individually and collectively, to come back into relationship with him. And throughout scripture, it tells us that humanity is not very good at living faithfully in a covenant with God. And so we have a problem, and it tells us of God's solution in Jesus Christ, that in him, in Christ, God no longer sees our unfaithfulness, our unrighteousness, but he sees Christ's faithfulness even to death on the cross. And so it is through Christ that we faithfully live into the covenant. He fulfills the old covenant and brings a new covenant. And so the Bible goes into a little more detail than that, but that's the story of Scripture. It shows us the way to salvation, and that's what we call justifying grace, that we are justified before God. We are, we are justified. We are deemed in, in not guilty. We are deemed righteous, even though we aren't, because it's Christ's righteousness, 
not ours. So that's justifying grace. You might have heard the, the metaphor is just as if I'd never sinned, that we're clean and white as snow. And that, that's good as far as the purity part. In the, in the sense of holiness and righteousness, it's just as if we've never sinned. But we've got to be careful with that metaphor because we don't want to discount what Christ has done for us, right? Because if we had never sinned, God wouldn't have had to send his son. Christ wouldn't have had to go to the cross. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it is not cheap grace. God gave his son and Jesus gave his life. But because of that, God sees us just as if we've never sinned. He sees Christ's righteousness and not our unrighteousness. He sees Christ's faithfulness and not our unfaithfulness. Second piece in verse 16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, it says God's spirit, God's breath, in Hebrew, was hovering over the darkness. It was in the beginning. It is God's spirit that brought light and life into the world, into creation. In Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord formed humans from the dust of the ground and breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and they became living beings. In the Gospel of John, he tells Nicodemus, after being separated that, that it, by sin, that you must be born of the Spirit. And it is the Spirit that gives us the truth of the Bible. That's important. There's a study a long time ago, I think early 90s, called Experiencing God. I don't remember anything of it, but I remember a little equation that opened my eyes as a young Christian. It says, the word plus the spirit equals the truth. Just the words on the page don't give us the truth. The words on the page have been manipulated for selfish gain and purposes and false teachers since the beginning. So we must have the spirit of God to understand the things of God. This is a big scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the own spirit within them? All right, I got mixed up. All right, here we go. I'm trying to squeeze a lot in. Okay, so, in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand that God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. We cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. So it is the spirit that brings the truth to the words on the page. In Romans, uh, Paul explains the law, even though that's words, it is spiritual in nature. And if I live by the Spirit, this is part of the new covenant, if I live by the Spirit, I no longer need the letter or the word of the law. But we still need the law. 
All right, this is getting sidetracked here, but this is good stuff. Uh, so we still need the law because sometimes I'm not walking in the spirit. And I need the law. So, and, and I told you before, that usually comes in form of my wife. Don't do that. Jim, be nice. Stop that, right? I need that. But if I'm walking in the spirit, I'm reading my scripture, I'm in the means of grace, I'm in prayer, I'm in the body of Christ. If I'm walking in the spirit, I'm not going to be ugly. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not going to do those things because it is the spirit that leads me. The, The law, the word of the law is spiritual at nature, and we can't discern it without the spirit of God. So the The word is spiritual. So, so, um, number three, verse 16. All scripture, not only is it God breathed, it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in all righteousness. So just as we talked about the story of salvation, now we talk about sanctification. It is through the word of God in the spirit of God, that we are shaped and formed. We are taught and trained and rebuked, corrected. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is alive, active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, joints and marrow. It judges thoughts and attitudes and heart. Sometimes we think, and I've heard all of these throughout my years of ministry, um, boy, that, your sermon wasn't very cheery today, or it wasn't very warm and fuzzy. Sometimes it's not going to be. You know, if there's a truth out there and I'm on the wrong side of it, then I'm going to be convicted. I'm going to be corrected. That's what the word is. It's, going to, it's supposed to correct us. It's supposed to hurt. I love, in West Texas, I learned the saying when I came from Chicago, I mean, it's probably just routine to you, but, and it is to me now, but, you know, when it, I love when people leave the church. I know their heart is in the right place. When they leave, and boy, you are, you are stepping on my toes today. They don't mean that bad. They mean they needed to hear that today. They needed to get something right. They needed, they had something corrected today. And if we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. Sometimes we're going to need to hear that correcting word, that rebuking. And think about our kids. When we think, oh, that's so harsh. And you get here talk about, well, I serve a God of love, and he is a God of love, but it's true love. Think about our kids. Have, if we have a lot of children, a lot of parents here with young kids. Think about when you correct your children. When you have, well, let me ask you, maybe you guys are better parents than I. Any of you ever have to correct your children? Not the Hobbs. Not, not the, yeah, any of you have to rebuke your child from time to time? Is it because you don't like them? Well, maybe in that moment. But, right? No, it's because you love them. It's because you care about them. You want them to be who they, they can be. And so you love them, and so you correct them, you train, you rebuke, you shape, you mold out of love. And that's what Scripture does to us, and that's why God does it for us, because he loves us. Man, God has corrected me of so many things. 
And he gives me a little time. It, it might take, it might be an instant thing. Jim, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have acted like that. You shouldn't have said that. So, yes, thank you, God. I'm sorry. Then I go say, I'm sorry. There's reconciliation. Sometimes it's a struggle that, well, I've took, took some years to conquer that. But then, and God always gives me a little bit of time to say, wow, thank you, God. Man, that was a long struggle. I'm glad we, we conquered that. And then he goes, okay, let's move on to the next thing, right? Because he cares about me. He wants the best for me. He wants stuff that's in my life not to be in my life. He wants stuff that's in your life not to be in your life, that's interfering in your relationship. He wants to correct all that. But we have to read Scripture. Because God doesn't just rebuke us and shape us and mold us. God didn't do all that stuff for me just for me, myself, because he loves me. He does. All that's true. But this is in our final point. Never does God just bless us for ourselves alone. He blesses us, transforms us, makes us, shapes us so that we can be a blessing to others. There's a principle not often talked about in the Bible. It's very clear that we are the harvest that becomes the workers, right? We are the harvest that becomes the workers. At one point, just like the disciples, well, let's read Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the villages and teaches. Te well, let me read the last one. I'm running out of time. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The Lord of the harvest, therefore, uh, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to the fields. So just like the disciple, Jesus went and he, they were the harvest. Come follow me, come follow me, come follow me. He brought them in. He discipled them and they became the workers. That's the life. That's the cycle. We come in, we need training, we need rebuking, we need teaching, and then we are to be a blessing to others. We are to share the gospel, to share the word of grace, to share God's love and light in the world. Not for ourselves alone. So this, this is all these aspects of scripture. And this is why, as I try to get all this in, why we're doing the follow-up life groups, or the follow-up YouTube, Facebook on Wednesday at, at 6.30 because we go into it deeper. All the leaders and some of the groups have these, uh, the main notes. But I wanna close real quick with excuses that we have sometimes. So does anybody in here, I'll ask, put this in a positive way. Read the Bible as much as they should. Okay, you get points for being honest, right? None of us do. I mean, I do a lot. I get to. But I, that's from the beginning. Before I became a pastor, I had a hunger for the Word. It's just something. But we all have to read the Bible. One, one excuse I hear is, I don't understand theology. Good. That's good. I've been to seminary, and the theology and academia has ruined many good pastors. It's okay if you don't understand. You, you just have to read. There was a story of a teenage boy who was very much into astronomy and science, and his dad bought him a very expensive telescope. 
And boy, he was very technical-minded, and he examined the lenses. He made calculations about the distance of its point of focus. So I don't even know what that means. But he, he knew all of this stuff. And he was very intrigued by the technical uh, aspects of this instrument, and he studied it, and he knew all about it. But he never used it. He never looked up into the sky. The purpose to look up at the wonders of the heavens, he never used it. In the same way as Christians, you know, we can know all about the Bible, the facts, the figures, the history, the data. We can even remember chapter and verse. But that is not why God gave it to us. God gave us scripture. God gave us the Bible so that we could see him, that we could know him, that we could be in relationship with him. So just read it. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible's too hard to follow. Well, you don't have to figure it out. The Hobbs are, told me uh, Wednesday that they're going through the, the Bible in a year, they have different plans they're going. I said, well, if you do one of those comprehensive readings through the Bible, just read through it. Don't get bogged down. I call it the, the Blitzkrieg of Bible reading, right? Just go and let, let what's going to stick, stick, because then you're going to get a bigger picture that you don't when we just study the detailed parts. I'm not saying that's not important, but we have to have the big overview first. And so just... Just read it. You're going to get something, I guarantee. When I, when I took Greek in seminary, it was an immersion class all summer long, and our, our, our um, teacher, our professor, said, you're going to feel like you're three weeks behind this whole class, but just keep going. Just keep going, and at some point towards the end, it's going to start to click. And that's very similar to Scripture. Just keep going. Sometimes we think, oh, there's no use. It's, I can never remember this. I get confused. And a wise pastor once said you know, that if you pour water through a sieve, you collect very little water. But at least you have a clean sieve. Right? And just last week, current event metaphor. Last week, it started snowing. Everybody had a lot of fun in the snow. And I just looked out there and looked out there. And I was giving Ashley, uh, I'm, I, I was very self-righteous. I was giving, I'm from the Midwest. I was like, well, that's not going to stick because it hadn't been cold enough and get all this scientific. And it just kept snowing and snowing and snowing. And eventually a little formed. And then it was easier for the others to stick. And then the more that stuck, the easier it was. And before we know it, we had three, four inches. Same thing. Just keep reading it. It'll stick. I promise. Oh, good night. We need to extend our service. All right. Finally, the last excuse, I don't have time. The truth is, we make time for what's important for us. We make time for what is important to us. And so, there is nothing more important 
than learning about our nature and God's nature. That allow, if we don't read it, again, you might not understand it, but God will take it and use it later. I think I shared a story in here. I'm talking to so many life groups on Wednesday night, I can't remember what story I told where. But the, there, was this, uh, there was this married couple, and I looked up to them. I was, wasn't a pastor. I was this early 20s, new Christian, and I thought they were the poster child for a Christian marriage. And I had read several years earlier the scripture, if you don't love me more than your father, than your mother, than your brother, then you, you can't be my disciple. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very selfless. That sounds a little egotistical and hierarchical. That doesn't sound like God. Didn't understand it. Didn't think about it. Just left it. And then later I found out, I was told at a meeting by the man, the husband in the marriage, that the wife was having an affair and they were seeing counseling. And as a young Christian, idealizing this, I was shocked. I was, I was floored. It hurt. And I was sitting in the sanctuary by myself, praying this, sorting this stuff out, and God brought that scripture. I hadn't thought about it in two years, but it was in my head. It was in my heart. Came roaring back, and I didn't hear the words, but I clearly in my head, it said, remember that scripture where you thought I was a little haughty? You know, a little hierarchical? You understand now? That was, that's not for me. That's for you. Because it doesn't matter how good the person in your life is. Because they're human, they have the ten potential to disappoint you, to let you down. And if you put all your trust and faith in them, you have no net to fall back on. That was for you. If I hadn't have read the scripture, if I hadn't read the Bible, what, how would have God ministered to me at that moment? We're empty computers. We need to input the data so God can use it. So God can use us. So, make sure you get lined up with a life group because like, you can see how these discussions go, good, or go deeper and they drill deeper. And then on Wednesday night, we have different pastors coming in and, and, and they get my notes and they kind of build on and incorporate their experience, their knowledge. So I encourage you to do that. But you might be saying as you look forward and say, okay, we're going to talk about these means of grace. We've already talked. Well, you want me to take time to pray? Yet now we're talking about I have to have some time to, to go to the Word, and then we're going to talk about it. And you're saying, well, I already go church once a week. All right? But now you're going to say, I'm sure you're going to say, well, we've got to spend some time in service in addition to all the other stuff and, and worship. And I'm sure you're going to want me to spend some time in the body of Christ sharing and growing, iron sharpens iron sort of thing. It's like, and you're going, oh my gosh, that's going to consume all my time. That's going to be my whole life. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is, our, that is our series. That is the message of our series. Live, don't... Be a disciple. Don't learn to be a disciple. Be a disciple. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your patience and for your love. Lord, as we come to your table, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds. 
Lord, speak to us about the story of salvation in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word that tells us all about the time that leads up to the moment that Christ gave his life, that we might have life. So, Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit would bless this time and bless these elements that they might be for us, the body and the blood of Christ, that we might be for the world, the Christ, redeemed by his blood. 